0: That last song and what Keith just prayed kind of stole a lot of my thunder this morning. Um, it's really cool how God works that way, though. Uh, whether it's Pastor John preaching or uh, whenever I do, uh, we don't coordinate what the messages are with the, the songs that we choose. Um, the songs, the set lists are kind of put together, uh, sometimes weeks um, and if uh, we're on top of things, maybe a, a month or so in advance. Uh, so it's really cool how God is able to use things like that just to, to show his power, uh, his, his might, his ability of just how he's, he's very clearly in control and and he knows better than we do. So the fact that, um, again, like I said, we, we sang that last song, um, the, the passage that Danielle read, all those things are kind of coming together. So if you haven't been with us, Uh, The last several weeks, or even if you have, we've been going through our Passion Week series. Uh, Pastor John's been going through really the time leading up to Jesus going on the cross and then eventually uh, rising again from the dead. And today we're going to be focusing on the cross. And uh, that's, I mean, you're going to see as we go throughout the morning, honestly, a lot of the things we just sang about what Keith just prayed uh, are going to show up in what we're looking at. Um, almost down to the word. It's pretty crazy. Uh, still kind of blown away about how uh, how God works. But uh, like I said, this morning we're we'll going to be looking at the cross and specifically what I want to be focusing on because I think a lot of us probably understand and probably know we've read a lot, whether in the Bible or even like reading historical documenting of what all went into the act of crucifixion, right? Maybe some of us have seen the passion of the Christ. A lot of us know just from you know, being in church, reading the Bible, we know a lot of the things that Jesus went through on the cross, leading up to the cross. But what I want to focus on specifically is Jesus' how he reacted in all of those situations, his response in all of those situations. And hopefully as we go throughout the morning, as we go and look at all these different details, that we're going to see that in spite of all these crazy things, all these horrible, horrific, painful, torturous things that he went through, he continued to press on. He continued to submit to the will of God, to the will of the Father, and to go on to die on the cross because he, that's how much he loved us. And so really we're going to be talking and looking about how uh, Christ displayed really an unmatched love, a completely unmatched love. Um, and I was kind of thinking about this, what we're going to be doing as we go through. As I was going through and reading all these different passages and, and, and putting together this outline, I was thinking this reminds me a lot of... I don't know if anybody in here ever, in, when you were in school doing icebreakers, uh, one of the icebreakers that you would do is, okay, everybody stand up, and if, if you've done this, sit down, all these kind of things. And the last person standing would win something. First of all, I personally hated icebreakers. I'm like, wh- why do we need to do this? Why do I, especially when I got into college. Because um, sometimes you have to take prerequisite classes that have nothing to do with what you're supposed to be studying. And I'm like, I don't know any of these people. I just want to finish this and, and get out of here. Um, I hated icebreakers and didn't really like them. But some people loved them. Some people, that was the only reason they went to class was for stuff like that. Um, but so the idea of standing, keep standing until I say something that you haven't done or they how, whatever the format would be, and then you would sit down. Thinking about this, as, as I was going through and, and seeing all these things that Jesus was facing and going through, um, I would not have gotten very far before I'm like, all right, I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to the cross. I'm out. Um, Now, I'm not going to have us all stand up and sit down when you would be out. I'm not going to have you guys stand up for the service. I mean, Sunday is supposed to be a day of rest, so I figured I'd give you guys the day off. Um, But what we're going to be doing is hopefully, like I said, as we go through and we read through these different things that Christ experienced, uh, we're going to gain a better appreciation, uh, maybe a little bit of a better understanding of how great his love is for us. So if you want to turn with me, we're going to start in Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22. And uh, if you don't have your own Bible, uh, we do have some uh, in the seats in front of you. And if you have, you're using one of those, we're going to be on page 738, 738, Luke chapter 22. Now, also, uh, if you do have our app or if you don't have our app, you can go into the app stores, North BC is the app. Um, and on there, there's a section where you can find the notes for this morning where you can kind of fill in and keep along. Um, and so we're going to be going into Luke chapter 22 and what we're going to look at first is Christ preparing for the cross. Um, and specifically we're going to be looking at two different, uh, two different events that took place. Uh, as Christ was preparing for the cross, but that would be the last supper in the garden. Now last week, if you were here, um, you know that Pastor John went through and we really focused on uh, the story of Judas and his betrayal of Jesus. So we are going to be talking about the same events, but we're not going to be focusing nearly as much on the actual betrayal of Judas. Um, But I really think it's important for us to look at these two events and look at the things that were going on around Jesus, the things that were happening to him specifically as he was preparing to go to the cross and see what his response was, see how he, uh, how he reacted to those different things. So Luke chapter 22, and we're going to start in verse 14. It says, And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him, and he said unto them, With desire I have desired, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper <clears throat> saying... This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, this again is uh, the Last Supper, and we we celebrated this a few weeks ago. We took communion uh, together as a church, and it's always such a great reminder of, and I think really, if we truly understand what it is that we're doing, and we read what Jesus just said, and, and what is repeated by people like Paul of what the Last Supper, what communion is, if we really truly think about what it is that we're doing, it is such a, uh, Um, really a humbling thing to do and an amazing reminder of what Christ was going through on the cross. And if we think about the fact that he did this, he had this last supper with his disciples, knowing what was to come. And we are now doing that to remember that, to to try and think about what was going through his mind. Because again, yes, he was God, but he was also 100% man. And we're going to see in a little bit about how that kind of showed. But just to think about what he might have been thinking, what he might have been feeling as he's doing this, knowing what's to come. Uh, it's just such a crazy thing to think about. Let's continue reading real quick, and then we're going to uh, dive into the, the text itself. Uh, jump down to verse 31 with me, and we're going to read eight more verses there. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And he said unto them, when I sent you with purse and scrip and shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said nothing. Then said he unto them, but now he that hath the purse, let him take it. And likewise his scrip. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you that, that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, it is enough. So this last supper, uh, as we looked at first, he's actually going through and he's telling them Again. As he, If we were to go back throughout his ministry, he's constantly letting the disciples know, reminding them, going back to Old Testament prophecies and reminding them of not only who he is, but because of who he is, what was to come for him, and that he was not always going to be there. And much like us, the disciples, many, many times, almost all the time, were completely either unaware. Or ignoring the truth of what he was really saying. Or just completely ignorant of what he was trying to tell them. Of listen, I'm not going to be here for all that long. And again, he's doing this here. And he's, he's telling them specifically how he's going to be sacrificed. And he's using the meal here. Specifically the Passover meal. To, ex- to exemplify and to show as an example of what he's about to go through. Now it's really cool. It's really interesting to me. That this is taking place during the Passover meal. Okay, so the Passover, we know that the, the, the Jews started to celebrate the Passover meal back because of what happened when they were in Egypt, when they were being delivered out of Egypt. And God had Moses tell the Israelites to go ahead and, and kill uh, a pure lamb and put the, the blood over the doorpost so that when the plague had come, it would pass over those, those households. And so thinking about the fact that there was a sacrificial lamb whose blood was shed a perfect lamb, had never done anything wrong, was a, you know, no blemishes whatsoever, was sacrificed. Because, again, that itself was an example and a foreshadowing of what the Messiah was going to do one day. And so that Jesus is now then taking this and he's, again, making this connection, once again, reminding them, I'm the Messiah that was talked about. This is what's going to happen to me. Um, he'd been doing this all along and reminding them. And he's using the specific Passover event what the Jews celebrate with the Passover meal to remind them, I am the one who's going to be the sacrifice. And so it's really cool to see that he's, he's using this specific thing to show them what it is that he's about to go through. Um, now, we do need to cut the disciples a little bit of slack because maybe some of them were kind of aware and, and understanding of what was kind of to come. Maybe they didn't know how soon they were from it happening. Um, but also, if you put yourselves in their shoes, uh, this is somebody that they've gotten to know really well for the last three years. They've spent every day going everywhere with him, doing everything with him. There's a handful of them who are what we kind of consider to be in his inner circle. Um, And obviously they got even closer to him, Peter being one of them. And we just read about, this is their friend. This is basically kind of their brother. It's kind of how they lived. That's how close that they were. And so they were probably also a little bit distraught. And maybe that's why they were a little bit blinded to what he was trying to tell them. Um, But in this Last Supper meal, uh, the Passover meal, he's displaying what it is that, First of all, that he's the Messiah and reminding them that, listen, this is, it's, it's at hand. It's, now it's time. It's going to happen. Um, so he's using the meal to make that connection. So that means that he's understanding, first of all, he knows that this is happening. It's now. It's, it's, it's going to happen. So he knows that he's just about to be taken into custody to, to then be put to death. And then we also see later in the, in the chapter, as we read, verses 31 through 38, um, that he knew that Peter was going to deny him. I already mentioned that Peter was one of his inner circle disciples um, there 's many times, including later we 're going to be reading when they go into the garden where kind of his 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 smaller group of guys went off with him separate from the rest of the twelve and peter 's one of those guys who is closest to him and a lot of times we see in the in the in the gospels and even as we go into Acts after Jesus has, has gone back to, to heaven, we see how Peter is really kind of considered um, amongst the disciples as kind of the, the head disciple, if you want to think of it that way. Um, he was one of the older guys. Uh, he was one of the more outgoing guys. We see that a lot. Um, a lot of times he you know puts his foot in his mouth. He does stupid things. Uh, but he was kind of seen as the head disciple, if you want to think of it that way. So the guy who's kind of looked to as the example amongst the other disciples one of Jesus' closest friends, Jesus knows that he's going to deny him. One of his closest friends, one of his basic, like one of his brothers, is going to deny him. So, again, this idea that he, he knows what's coming, he knows the torture that's going to come, but also throw on top of that, just add layer after layer. The second layer is this guy that's super close to him is going to deny that he even knew him. And he tells him this. Not only that, that he was a follower, but that he didn't even know him is what Peter's going to do. He's going to deny him. And so just think about what that might be. I've, I've come to this earth to be a sacrifice for everybody. And that includes this guy who I've gotten to know really, really well. And he's going to deny that he even knew me. Sometimes when the people who are closest to us do something that hurts us, that, that, that can hurt even more than just a stranger, right? Because this is somebody who knows me really well. We, we actually spent a little bit of time Thursday night in men's Bible study talking about this idea of forgiveness um, and how... Uh, how difficult it is to to really forget when somebody has hurt us once we've forgiven them. That's why we kind of went into talking about that's why forgiveness, it's not a one-time I forgive this person and now I'm good, right? Because especially if it's somebody close to us, we're going to see them. We have to continually forgive people as we forgive them. Um, But this idea of forgiveness and when it's somebody who's close to us, one of the closest people to us that hurts us, that sometimes cuts the deepest. And so Jesus, one of the people closest to him is the one who's going to deny even knowing him. That has to hurt. I've come to die for him and I've spent all this time with him and he's going to deny that he even knew me. So as we see here, uh, as we go even further, he talks about, so he's referencing back to when they kind of first formed as disciples, as followers of Jesus. He's talking about, I told you to basically, you don't need to take anything with you to get rid of all of your stuff, follow after me. He basically tells them that they just need to rely on hospitality of wherever they're going to go to travel light. uh, They just need to pick up and go and follow after him. And so he's referencing that. And now he's saying, whatever you might have, sell it and get a sword. If you need it, if you have a sword, whatever. And they say that they have two swords now uh, might think, well, why would Jesus want them to get swords? If he knows what he's supposed to do, he knows what's going to happen, they're going to come to arrest them. Is he wanting them to fight back? Is he wanting them to uh, try to stop them from arresting him? Well, as as we go into the garden, we're going to kind of see how Jesus is acting in that situation. Really, I believe that Jesus, he's telling them to get these swords mainly for their own protection. Because as we see in, in the time of his arrest, in the time following even Jesus' death and ascension, we see that the disciples specifically become a target. And that's why Peter was being asked multiple times, weren't you one of his followers? Weren't you with him all the time? And he's denying him, denying the, the fact that he knew him. Um, and a lot of this is because the disciples, they're going to be the next target. Once they get rid of Jesus, they're going to try and go after the disciples. So, again, we should probably cut Peter a little bit of slack because um, we, we have not been in his specific situation to where he was probably afraid for his life as well. Um, but Jesus, I believe here, he's, he's telling them to, to get swords if they have them. Because, again, they say they have two. He's like, that's enough. Jesus knows the group that's coming to get them, knows, knows the group that's coming to arrest them. If, if he was wanting them to fight back and try and stop it, two would not be enough. So he's concerned about their safety, about their well-being, because he also knows that they're going to be attacked at some point. They're going to be persecuted for being followers of him. He just acknowledged that he knows that Peter's going to deny him. And it's because uh, they're going to have a target on their backs. So as we look through just this this portion of the Last Supper, we see how deeply Jesus cared for his disciples. He cared so deeply that even though he knew the pain, the torture that he was about to endure, um, and even the fact that one of his closest friends was going to deny him, he was still concerned about teaching them, again, trying to comfort them, really, uh, and and concerned about their well-being to making sure that they would be safe and comforted and knowing that, again making that connection of the Messiah, and I'm going to, I I will be coming back, right? So in in just this portion of the Last Supper, we see how much he cares for his disciples. And and that care and that deep love is what's going to continue to drive him to to follow through with the Father's will and go to the cross. So we've talked about the Last Supper. Uh, Now, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking about when Jesus went into the garden. All right, so we're going to jump to Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter twenty six and read about when they went into the garden. <clears throat> the Bibles in the in the seats. That's going to be page six hundred and ninety four. Page six hundred and ninety four. So we've seen Jesus. Uh, he's preparing really his himself, his mind, uh, and also his disciples for what's to come as he's preparing for the cross. We see him preparing with the Last Supper. Um, But now we're going to see how he prepares and is asking his disciples, his followers, to also prepare for the cross um, as they go into the garden. So Matthew chapter 26. We are going to read a good chunk of this uh, chapter. um, But as we go throughout this, again, just be thinking from that perspective of almost putting yourself in Jesus' shoes. How would you be feeling? How would you be reacting? What would your thoughts, your feelings be as you're experiencing these different things? All right, so Matthew chapter 26, we're going to start in verse 36. It says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little farther, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time, and prayed, saying... O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came in with a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. So, again, as we mentioned, it's not just a small group of people. It's a great multitude. And obviously, again, Jesus, yes, he's man, but he's also God. He knew the group that would be coming for him. So he knew that two, two swords wouldn't be enough to fight back. It's, it's really just for protection. Verse 48 says, Now he that betrayed him gave him, them a sign, saying, Whomever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot pray to my father, and he presently He shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? So, as we go into this passage, as we kind of break it down, uh, we see that they're going into the garden. He knows that the time is is coming close of of his time to be arrested and taken away and, and put on trial. And what he wants to do, again, remember that this is... God in man form so this is God here on earth in the flesh but even though he is God and he has a direct connection to the father all he wants to do in this time of preparation is he wants to spend time in prayer with the father and we see that it's because he's in such uh such pain and agony and sorrow it says even unto death in verse 38 and in other gospels I believe it's in Luke is where we read that he was sweating drops of blood so the amount of stress that he was feeling, the amount of uh, anxiety probably, the, the grief, the sorrow that he's feeling uh, is so immense because, again, he knows exactly what is going to happen to him. And we see so many times, as he mentions it in his prayers to the Father, that he would prefer to not have to go through this. As I mentioned earlier, we see as we go through these passages, we see that he definitely was a 100% man because this is this is him as a man saying... I do not want to have to go through this pain, through this agony, through this torture. But every time he says that, he still says, but thy will and not mine be done. He's still submitting to the will of the Father regardless. So as he's doing this, as he's in so much pain and agony and and sorrow and grief, literally sweating drops of blood, he asks his disciples to come with him and to go pray with him, to just spend a little bit of time with him in prayer. And he went off a little bit separate from himself, but he was, he was clearly close enough to him because when he was done praying, he went over to them and they were asleep. They could not stay awake. And this happened multiple times to where the third time he finally went back, almost it seems out of frustration. He's like, go ahead, go ahead, keep on sleeping. You can go ahead and sleep because there's no more time to pray anymore because now they're come to take me away. Um, so I, I think you, we see a little bit of his frustration with them. Um, and the, the disciples, again, these are the people who were closest to him. He brought his, his inner circle closer with him. The people who were close to him couldn't even stay awake to pray with him, to spend some time in prayer, and they just kept falling asleep. I, would be, I personally would be getting so annoyed. and be like, I've come to die for you, and this is what you're doing. And again, th- I, if I wasn't already out by now, this is when I would be out. Um, and then obviously we get into what Pastor John talked about last week of Judas' betrayal. All right. So this is one of the 12 that followed with him for these three years in, in his earthly ministry. And he's, he's gone on to literally hand him into the, the hands of the people arresting him. And now, again, last week we kind of went into and saw uh, the grief that Judas ended up feeling after the fact. But again, this is one of your followers who's betrayed you and turned you in. It wasn't just somebody who was hating you all, all along, who was kind of a heckler in the back of the crowd every time he was teaching and preaching. This was one of his 12 followers that was with him. Every single day. And he's, he's handed him into the hands of the people. Trying to take him away to kill him. So his his disciples can't even stay awake to pray. He's being betrayed by one of them. Uh, he even goes on after Peter attacks the guy. And cuts off his ear. Again, Jesus wasn't wanting them to go to attack. And fight against them and fight them off. He was... Mainly just having them, making sure that they were protected um, uh, for their own protection. And Peter, he kind of took the first move, went after, got pretty zealous, and went and after, cut the guy's ear off. And he, Jesus, kind of tells him, "What do you do?" He's like, "Step back, calm down. You don't need to be doing that." He says, "If we, if I wanted this to not actually, ha- if I was to be like, we're not doing this," he says, "I could pray to the Father and call down legions of angels." And so he could have called down angels at any time at this point. We know even later as he gets to the cross itself, he could have done the, the exact same thing. And so the fact that he, he had this, I guess, in our mind, an easy out to get out from having to do this, um, but didn't. This, again, shows his commitment to submitting to the will of the Father. And the reason that he's willing to commit to the, the, the will of the Father and that he would go to the cross is because of his love for us. As, as we've sung about this morning, as, as we've read about already, is his love was so great for us that even with all of this that was going on from the disciples, and as Keith had mentioned when he was praying, that he knew what we were going to do. Us, all of us who are here today, 2,000 years after he was even on this earth, he knew what we were going to do to sin against him before he even created the world. Okay, So think about that. We could go on for another two weeks or whatever talking about the fact that he knew before he created the universe That we were going to turn our backs on him, sin against him. And yet he still went through with that, uh, knowing that in order to have that relationship repaired, God would have to send his son to die on the cross for us. And even with all of that, he still went through with it because that's how much he loved us. So, again, Jesus had every reason to back out. As we've seen so far, uh, just in these two scenarios, that his disciples are, you know, they don't seem super loyal. We know that Peter's going to deny him. Obviously, Judas uh, betrayed him. Uh, they can't stay awake. They're you know, not paying attention to him trying to teach them and, and tell them that he's about to be sacrificed. He had every reason to want to back out. He knew what he was going to have to endure. He knew what he was going to have to go through. But his love goes beyond anything that we do. His love for us and for his disciples, his followers, went beyond anything that they were doing. Or not doing, if you want to think of it that way, when they weren't staying awake to pray. His love goes beyond anything that we do. It's not dependent on how faithful we are to him. It goes the other way. So while all this is going on, he's still preparing to go to the cross in our place. So this is how Christ was preparing for the cross. Now what we're going to be talking about is how is really his time leading up to the cross. All right? So we're looking specifically from the time that he's arrested to the time going up to when he's, he's physically on the cross. So we're going to jump uh, just one chapter over. I believe you're still in Matthew 26. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 27. And we're going to be looking at trial the trial of Jesus. So this is him, his time leading up to the cross once he's been arrested. And he's uh, going on trial. Now, before we go into this passage that we're going to read, uh, his trial was actually several different smaller trials. He, ended up, he was getting kind of whisked around all over the place going before different people. Um, We see that he stood before Annas. He stood before Caiaphas in the Sanhedrin. Now, these were the people who were kind of, you know, leading the way of trying to get him arrested. These were the religious leaders who were the actual hecklers all along while he's been uh, teaching and preaching in his ministry. These were the people who've been against him from the start. And so he has to go before these people first. And obviously, they're just trying to to get rid of him altogether. And we see these people, they're... They bring people in to make things up to try and come up with something that he's done wrong because, as we know, he's done nothing wrong, done nothing worthy of being arrested. And so they're having witnesses come in that are making things up, and then he ends up going before Pilate. Well, Pilate, he finds out that he's from Galilee, okay? So then from once he finds that out, he sends him over to Herod because Galilee, if you want to think of it this way, Galilee was kind of Herod's district, all right? So Herod was kind of over that little area. So he sent him over to Herod. And Herod's there and he's he, he basically just spends some first of all he was kind of happy to see him, he says, because he's been wanting to see him for a while, uh, but then it turns pretty quickly because his his group of guys and him uh that they begin to mock him uh and mistreat him and then they send him back up to Pilate. Now the reason I believe that he keeps getting passed around is they can't find anything wrong with him, right? They're they trying to. They're trying to, you know, have stuff stick to him, but they can't figure out any way to actually have a reason to arrest him. So what we're going to be looking at is the second time that he goes back to Pilate. All right, so Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to be in verse 15. Matthew 27, verse 15. It says, Now at that feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner, whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas, Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you? Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ. For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. So he already knows from everything he's already seen. He's seen Jesus in front of him before. He already knows that there's not really any reason that they brought him. They were just angry and not happy with him. That's why they're doing this. Uh, Verse 19. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying... Have thou nothing to do with this just with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with, this, with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why, what evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just man, this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So, again, and we see even Pilate's wife comes to him and says, Listen, don't have anything to do with this guy. He, she says, I've had, I've had this dream, and I'm you know completely freaking out because of this dream that is all based on him. And so we need to stay away from him, not have anything to do with him. Um, don't, don't do anything to convict him, whatever it might be. So his second time before Pilate, Pilate still can't find anything wrong with him. Now we see at the beginning of this passage that we just read, That at this time, you know, in their calendar, it was a custom that they would release one prisoner unto the people, which is an absolutely crazy thing to do. Like, oh, well, you know, it's that time of year again we get to release a prisoner to the public uh, without any reason, really. Uh, It's pretty crazy that they did that. But Pilate, being, you know, that savvy politician that he is, he saw this as kind of an out. He's like, okay, I have nothing, like, I can't find anything wrong with him. But We got this loophole over here where we get to just let a prisoner go free. And he was, in my mind, what Pilate's doing, he's probably trying to put before, okay, we have Jesus and we have this actual criminal. Now Barabbas, what he was in prison for was that he was part of uh, basically a group of rebels who ended up killing some people. So he rebelled against the Romans and actually killed people. And that's why he's in prison. So in my mind, Pilate's probably thinking, I'll put... Barabbas before them because this guy's actually a bad guy and I'll put Jesus before him and they'll be like, okay, obviously let's let Jesus go. But no, they, they continue to double down. They want Jesus to be crucified. They want Barabbas released unto him, onto them. And Pilate's probably just has no idea what's going on. But again, it says that he basically doesn't want to have to deal with the people freaking out. He doesn't want to have to deal with the riot, uh, because that's, what's going to happen if he lets Jesus go. He still thinks there's nothing wrong with him. And so that's why he's putting it to them. And even then, they say, crucify him. And he says, what has he done wrong? They say, and they just don't give him an answer. They just say, crucify him again. And so at that point, he's like, you know what? And he, he shows it to them. He's basically given himself plausible deniability. I'm washing my hands of this. I have nothing to do with this. You guys go ahead and do whatever you want. Um, which, again, is a great, like, a great move as him by a politician. I'm, I'm going to make sure I'm clean but i 'm also going to make sure that i don 't upset the majority because I like my position right, and so Pilate being savvy how he is that 's what he does, and so they choose to release Barabbas, who again he was a prison he was in prison as a rebel and who committed murder and not only did they want Jesus punished, but they wanted him crucified. Now, I mentioned earlier that uh, a lot of us probably know a lot of the details of what went into this execution of crucifixion. There's so many um, just just horrible things that the person would have to go through. And uh, I know I've seen different things of like the the science of what the body would actually go through uh, while they were up and nailed to the cross. And it's just insane that that was uh, not only something that they did, but that this was the solution that these people wanted. Again, there's nothing that anybody could find wrong with him, but they're all so riled up that they not only want him punished, but this is the punishment that they want him to receive. So again, every step of the way, we see that Jesus is facing people who, who mock him. They want him dead. Uh, even Pilate was the, the, he was one person who says, I can't find anything wrong with him. Um, but he, he decided to wash his hands of that. Um, and he, he himself wouldn't condemn Jesus because that he found nothing wrong with him. But he washed his hands of it. And so every step of the way, Jesus is facing these people who are screaming to have him crucified. They would rather have a murderer released unto them so that he could then be the one punished and be crucified. These were the same people who, there's probably a lot of the same people who just recently welcomed him into the city, were praising him and glorifying him, worshiping him. And maybe a lot of these people were also people who were in the crowds that he was teaching and preaching to over the years of his, his ministry. And now it's reached the point where they would rather have a murderer released unto them and have him put to death via crucifixion. Again, the fact that Jesus, through all of this, continues to cooperate. And again, at any moment, he could have called out to God to send down angels and he would have been you know, taken away, he would have been rescued, would not have had to continue through with this. But he, again, his love for us is so unmatched that he continued to follow after the Father's will to go to the cross. Um, so it's just a crazy thing to think about. That this is what he's going through. And he still hasn't even gotten to the actual cross. And before he gets to the cross, what we're going to look at now, we're going to continue uh, just a few verses in Matthew 27. We're going to look at some of the beating that he endured. Uh, Because this, again, he's still not even getting to the cross itself. But this is all things that he's going through where he he, he could have had the chance to back out. But he chose not to because of his love for us. So Matthew 27, we're going to continue reading there. Verse 27 says then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe and when they had plaited a crown of thorns they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying hail king of the jews and they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him in, in on the head and after that, they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him, and led him away to be crucified or to crucify him. so this is when things get really turned up as far as what Jesus is going through and his the, the punishment that we clearly see that he did not deserve uh, they They strip him of his clothes, which is obviously uh, very humiliating. They put a scarlet robe on him, a crown of thorns, they put a reed in his hand they 're basically dressing him up as you know, uh, a a little, trying to dress him up as a king because he was uh, proclaimed that he was the Messiah, the king of the Jews. And they're doing this in a mocking way. All right. So imagine that this is probably, they're trying to make him look like almost like a a gesture, dressing him up to make him look like uh, a, a cheap king, if you want to think of it that way. And this crown of thorns put uh, a reed in his hand, and then they're mocking him, making fun of him, bowing down. Probably, they're probably having a good time laughing. And again, Jesus, as he's going through this, as he's receiving this, this beating, this ridicule, he knows these men right here who are doing this to me right now, I'm dying on the cross for them. Think about that. Think about what he's going through. I, I'm pretty confident to say that none of us would be able to continue on if we got to this point. If we, had, if we had all made it to this point, I, I'm pretty confident to say that this would be where we tap out. Because I have to sit there and think, I'm going through this. I'm feeling all this pain. They're mocking me. They're spitting on me, basically treating him like trash. And I'm going to die for them. Okay? Or if, even if I did make it to this point, I'm like, I'm going I'm to keep going. I might be like, all right, I'm taking names and this doesn't count for them. All right? But that's not what he did. Because right? his love is greater than anything that that we could ever think of. Any, whatever we might think, whoever in our lives we love the most, his love for us goes way greater than that, way beyond that. And so just the fact that these people that are beating him, that are mocking him, spitting on him, and just treating him like garbage, he's still dying for these people. So what do we take away from this, this point of Jesus preparing and, and leading up to the cross itself? Well, I think we could probably kind of understand Jesus still wanting to die for his disciples. Even after, you know, they don't stay awake, they're not always paying attention. I think we can we can connect a little bit with the fact that he would still want to die for them. Now, again, I, I don't know how many of us would actually want to die for, for you know, a group of people like that in our lives. Uh, I, I think a lot of us would like to believe that we would. Of, of Whether it's family or really close friends, that we would be willing to sacrifice ourselves for them. Um, So I think we can kind of connect here because even though they did some dumb things, these were still his closest friends. These were like brothers to him. So I think we can, you know, kind of understand that. But when we look at the people that are are just screaming, yelling things at him, wanting him to be crucified, people who are just ridiculing him, saying the most horrible things, beating him and mistreating him, uh, I can't comprehend, comprehend wanting to continue to die for these people. But that's how great his love is for us. So... Now, as, as we look at, you know, Christ's unmatched love, we're going to look at him on the cross now, so Christ on the cross. So for this, we're going to jump back over to Luke and we're going to be in uh, chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. <clears throat> uh, page 740 in the Bibles in the, in the chairs.. <clears throat> Luke chapter 23, and we're going to start in verse 32. It says there, And there were also two malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, And the rulers also with them uh, decried him, uh, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers who mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, "If thou be Christ, save thyself and us." But the other, answering, uh, the answering, uh, rebuked him, saying, "Dost not thou fear God? Seeing thou art in the same con- condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss." And he said unto Jesus, "Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom." And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. So um, I'm going to try and break this down, and I I will be kind of jumping to uh, or reading a couple passages as we look at some of the things that he was dealing with. Uh, I'm going to be jumping to a couple different Gospels. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read them for you. Uh, But we see, obviously, that Jesus is going through a lot of immense suffering on the cross. He's just facing suffering that we could not comprehend. Again, just knowing that he, he's up there. He's nailed to the cross. He has the crown of thorns on him. Uh, and just the, the pain that that would be. And the suffering goes beyond the physical. It would also be mental and emotional. And we kind of get to get a glimpse of the emotional suffering that he might be experiencing. As we look and, and see kind of what's going on around him. So first of all, we see that they're gambling for his clothes. We read a little bit. Um, about that in this passage, but John chapter 19, 23 and 24 says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, Therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture uh, they did cast lots." These things, therefore, the soldiers did. So we see that the soldiers they're they're basically gambling; they're casting lots uh, to see who can take home this trophy of when we crucified Jesus. Uh, again, he he's up there on the cross, enduring this physical pain, and he looks down and sees this happening. But we also see that this was to fulfill the scripture. So. Uh, he, Jesus knows that this has to happen. He knows that this is fulfilling the scripture, but he still looks down and sees them that basically they're just having a good old time celebrating and they're trying to figure out a way to divide up the stuff that belonged to him. And they're probably going to take it home as, uh, as a trophy. They're going to show it off to people and, and tell them what it was from. So that's one thing that he sees when he looks around him. We also see he's being kind of reviled. He's being ridiculed by, uh, the thief on the cross. Luke twenty three thirty nine says, and one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. So now this guy, he's not only is he uh, ridiculing Jesus, it, his, his strategy isn't a very good one. Because he says, if you're Jesus, like you say, if you're the Christ, like you say you are, save yourself, right? We already see that some of the, the leaders that are there, they're saying that same thing. They're mocking him, making fun of him. But then he says, thyself and us. If you want him to actually save you, it's probably not a good idea to be like, oh, well, if you're the Christ like you say, why don't you save yourself? And then while you're at it, you can save us too. Now, I guess he's a little bit thoughtful because you think about the guy on the other side. He says, and us. Um, But again, this is something that Jesus, he's having to endure this. Even while he's up on the cross, he's being, you know, attacked by somebody who's up there with him. Uh, We also see in Matthew 27, 41 and 43 that he's mocked by the religious leaders. Likewise, also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and elders said, he saved others, he himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. So again, they're mocking him saying, he said all these things, that he's the son of God, he's the Christ, he's the deliverer, the Messiah. Well, shouldn't he be able to save himself? If he gets off the cross, saves himself, then we'll we'll believe everything that he said. Um, Now... based on their track record of everything that we read about them in the, in, in the Gospels, I don't know that they would have changed their mind. Um, they would have probably, again, because these were people who witnessed him performing other miracles, but they still weren't believing it. Okay, they were dead set on not believing it and, and just going against him. Uh, and then also we see in Matthew 27, verse 39, that he's blasphemed by the crowd. It says, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. So he's looking around and seeing all these things happen. And all of all of these, these, these people down in front of him gambling for his clothes. Uh, we have the religious leaders that are mocking him. He's being mocked by the, the one thief on the cross. The crowd who's passing by, people just coming by to see what's going on. They're mocking him, making fun of him. And again, remember, all these people, he's still dying for these people. And so here I want to look now at what his response is. When he see, looks around and sees all of this happening... What is his response? I know what my response would be. I would be very angry, uh, very annoyed. And I, I, would, I would, again, at this point, if I was still around, I would want to back out. But that's not Christ's response because his love is greater than us, is, is greater than anything that we could would think of. Christ's response we see in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, where he says, Father, forgive them. So he's, he's up on the cross. He's enduring this pain. And then he sees and looks down and he's, he's having to endure emo, emotional and, and mental pain of seeing what's going on. Knowing that these are the people that he's dying for. And he's told them that that's what he's come to do. And they've ignored him all along to where the, that they're still doing this. That has to be uh, such a, a hurtful thing to have to look down and see. Uh, but as he was up on the cross experiencing all this, he looked down and saw all of this going on. And what was his response? His response was still forgiveness. He was dying for all these people, not just the ones who were there mourning him, because we do know that some of the people close to him were there mourning. Obviously, they were upset. He wasn't just dying for them. Even on the cross, he was interceding with the Father on everybody's behalf. While he's on the cross experiencing this torture and pain, he's saying, Father, forgive them. That's something that none of us could ever be capable of doing. Because, again, any love, any feeling we might have towards anybody is nowhere close uh, it, it, it all, again, we're human. We're going to mess up. We're going to let people down at some point. That's not, the, that's not the case with Jesus. His love is never changing. It's not specific to any certain people. It's for everybody. And, it, and he is faithful. It's never going to change. And it's greater than anything that we ever know. Um, so also, what else is his response? Well, we see that there was some people. Again, there were people there mourning him. But also the other thief on the cross. He ridiculed the first guy saying... Why would you, you know, mess with this guy? Why would you mock him? Why would you make fun of him? We're up here for a reason. We deserve what we got. We should be up here. On the other hand, he does not deserve to be up here. What did he do to deserve this? And so he, he recognized that Jesus was blameless, and he looks to him, and he says, just remember me. Remember me when you go into your kingdom. And so Jesus' response is to, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So again, he's, again, He's connecting with people. Even while he's going through this, he's thinking about their uh, eternal state, really. Um, what else do we see? Well, John chapter 19, uh, verses 26 and 27. Uh, he, this is when he's up on the cross and he looks down and he sees John and he sees Mary, his mother. And he says, Woman, behold thy son. And he looks to John and says, Behold thy mother. So, why is he doing this? Well, again, think about what he's going through, the physical pain. Even while he's on the cross, Jesus was concerned for his mother's well-being when he was gone. And this is another example of how this entire time he's constantly putting others before himself. He's looking down. And he's seeing obviously his mother is distraught. Her son is dying on the cross. And he's concerned for how she's going to be taken care of when he's gone. And so he looks to John. And again, he's, this is a teaching moment as well for John. And he's wanting to take care of his mother for when, when he's gone. The fact that he's able to even and focus and look and, and process all of this and again just put somebody else's needs before his own while he's going through this this suffering on the cross is is so amazing and so outstanding. And so looking at his time on the cross itself, again whether it was people mocking him that were walking by, people blaspheming him, the leader the religious leaders people casting lots for his clothes as, as a trophy, um, or even the, the people who were kind of on his side, if you want to think of it that way, whether it be his mother, his disciple, um, the, the other thief on the cross, uh, he was still putting the needs of others before his own. He was still more concerned about their well-being than the pain that he was enduring, and he was still interceding while on the cross. Even while he was on the cross, he was interceding with the Father on behalf of others. And so even while he was going through all this pain and agony. And it was all because of his love for them and extending his love for us. So as we look back at all of these different things, as we look at how uh, basically his, his reaction, the things that he was experiencing and feeling as he was on the cross, preparing for the cross, uh, what is it that we see? Really, we just see his completely unmatched mercy and love. The mercy, because again, the people who are against him, screaming at him, spitting on him, beating him, uh, he could have, again, maybe not called angels down to save himself, but he could have called down angels to, to go after them. But he showed mercy in that situation, but also just completely his unmatched love. He knew this entire time uh, what he was going to have to endure going on the cross, the beating, the crucifixion, everything. But all, all along the way, he selflessly displayed his love for the world and continually submitting to the Father's will. He, pray, he prepared for the cross um, as he was preparing and he was preparing his disciples for what was to come, not only on the cross, but after when he was gone. Uh, and again, just all of this that he's going through, he's thinking about somebody else before himself. Which again, what he did, that's the greatest display, right? No, love have, no greater love had man than this than the man laid down his life for his friends. But again, we see it wasn't even just his friends. It was the people mistreating him as well. He was dying for all of these people in the entire world. And he was doing all of this because of his love for us. So as we're going to close here in a minute and close in prayer and at a time of invitation, I want us to think about how then can we take what we've looked at today. And again, the stuff that we looked at, we aren't going to be able to touch. We aren't going to be able to fully understand everything that he endured, everything that he felt and experienced in this time of the beating, the trial, the crucifixion, all these things. Uh, we're never going to be able to understand that. Uh, but I pray that we would try to open our minds to even comprehend just a little bit about what he went through for us. Because, again, it's greater than any sacrifice we can ever make for somebody, Any greater than any sac- sacrifice somebody else could make for us. But the cross is the greatest display of love ever. There's obviously no questioning that. Everything that he endured, he died in our place because of his love for us. And because of that, we can have an internal relationship with God, spend eternity with him forever. And all we have to do is put our faith and trust in him and claim that he is our Savior, and, and he will then intercede on our behalf to the Father, so that when God looks at us, he does not see the sin that we've committed, past, present, or future. He doesn't see that. He sees what Jesus did on the cross. So what I want to challenge us all to, to think about and apply to our lives as we leave here today and go throughout um, each and every day is that let's choose to live each day for him because he chose to die for us. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll go into a time of invitation. Dear God, I just thank you so much for uh, bringing us here once again this morning as we've been able to spend some time in worship and going into your word, God. Just thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made by sending your son to die on a cross for us, God. That that is the greatest display of love that we have ever seen that we will ever see, God. And it, it's all in spite of the sin that the world has committed against you going all the way back to the beginning of time, God, to even now, just this, the, the fact that we continue to, to slip up and fall into sin. we continue to go against your will, we continue to be more concerned about uh, our well-being, what might make us happy, and we're completely ignoring the fact that what you went through on the cross for us, God, that that love that we're able to experience from you is greater than anything that the world can offer us, God. And I pray that as as we think about this, as we go over this next week uh, with Good Friday this week and then Easter on Sunday, where we're going to see how uh, you did conquer sin and death. Yes, uh, this morning we talked about the the unjust punishment that you received on the cross, the, the crucifixion, the execution that you received, God. But we know that three days later, you rose again in giving us that new life if we just put our faith and trust in you, God. So I pray that we would think about that, that we would hold on to that truth, that we would not allow the things of this world to distract us from that. We would not believe the lie of sin that we hear each and every day, God, that we would just completely give our lives over to you if we haven't already, God. And for those of us who already have accepted you as our Savior, I pray that we would, uh, again, just be reminded once again of all that you endured for us. And you could have backed out at any moment, God, but you didn't, and it was because of your unmatched mercy and your unmatched love for us, God. So I pray as we go into this time of invitation that we would just uh, be completely open and transparent with ourselves of things that we might be holding on to, God, and that we would just, whatever it might be, we would give it over to you and just be uh, in complete thankfulness and appreciation of the sacrifice that you made by sending your son and the sacrifice that he made by dying on the cross for us, God. Again, just bless this time of invitation. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.